If you have a little bit of common sense, you will catch trends when most people still think that they're, you know, people still think in crypto is BS, you know, even it's funny. Jamie Dimon, you know who this guy is? He he announced that Bitcoin is a Ponzi pyramid, whatever you want to call it, right? Simultaneously, I know I'm friends with a guy named Brock Pierce, who's the head of the Bitcoin Foundation. So I was over at Brock's house and we were talking about this. <laughs> I don't know if Brock's doing it, but Jamie Dimon simultaneously hired, I think, a hundred blockchain developers to build out his own trading desk for crypto. See, Jamie Dimon's tricky. If you're in a room or at a table in Las Vegas, and after 30 minutes you haven't figured out who the sucker in the room is, you're the sucker. So lesson number one, I don't have my whiteboard. Catch trends before most people. You'll make a hell of a lot more money. If you study economics, I didn't go to college, but I did go for like one quarter, and one class said, in the long run, there's no excess profits in anything. New entrants enter into the game, they're more sophisticated. So in 2008, fast forward seven years later, I got in the Facebook beta advertising program. Again, not really because I was smart, but I kind of stumbled into it. I was at a conference or somebody, and someone's like, there's a new thing coming out, Facebook ads. All right, let's try. I was doing MySpace ads before then. 2015, I got into YouTube ads. Now, I wasn't the first, and you don't have the, one of the things that I'll say about trends, Alan Nation was my second mentor, and he said, Ty, never be the first or the last to try a new trend. So a lot of you in this room, there's some things you can do in social media that are already being done, but not by that many people. So there's still big opportunity there outside of just Facebook ads. And I'll get to that in a second on a strategy. I, got, I was one of the first people. So I got into YouTube early. Who here has seen any of my YouTube videos ever? On purpose or not wanting to? Sorry about that. <laughs> I looked today. I just passed on. I would show it, but I can't get this screen to show. I just passed 1.1 billion minutes watched on YouTube. So it's a lot. There's a lot of power in YouTube. Not just YouTube. Facebook, of course. So catching trends relatively early. You might not get $100, you know, cost to make $1,500 sale, but there's still big, big spreads and disparity. I mean, crypto right now. Who here is doing crypto? Crypto watch. Crypto watch. Yeah, I was there at their little, their talk a couple days ago. Right now, I got a buddy. He put, what he put in? 340000 in February. He sent me a screenshot. He's got $19.9 million today. They're not bad. Not bad. No game. Again, you watch, that profit, excess profit will go away. So one of the things, a practical takeaway that I feel like, I don't, how long do I have to talk? I'm not sure. But one of the practical things I'd like you to take away from this is be a trend catcher, whether it be in crypto. And we live in a world that's highly cynical, and some of that cynicism is justified. There's a lot of scams out there. But I will tell you, you will occasionally take one or two steps backwards catching new trends, but you will go 100 steps forward in my experience. I rarely, if you have a little bit of common sense, which I know is no longer common in the world, but if you have a little bit of common sense, you will catch trends when most people still think that they're, you know, people still think in crypto is BS, you know? It's funny. Jamie Dimon, you know who this guy is? He, he announced that Bitcoin is a Ponzi, pyramid, whatever you want to call it, right? Simultaneously, I know I'm friends with a guy named Brock Pierce, who's 
the head of the Bitcoin Foundation. So I was over at Brock's house and we were talking about this. Well, I don't know if Brock's doing it, but Jamie Dimon simultaneously hired, I think, 100 blockchain developers to build out his own trading desk for crypto. See, Jamie Dimon's tricky. If you're in a room or at a table in Las Vegas and after 30 minutes you haven't figured out who the sucker in the room is, you're the sucker. So all Jamie Dimon's kind of tricky. He's like, oh, crypto sucks. And then simultaneously, he's playing a poker hand that build me crypto. I got to make money in this. The number one ETF of 2017, I was just reading this yesterday, highest returning ETF exchange traded fund was one that was in crypto. But the profit's going to become trickier as smarter people get it. Same with affiliate marketing and same with social media. I saw it right now, 2001, you're buying 10 cent clicks. 2018, you're buying $17 clicks. Facebook ads, when I turned on Facebook ads in 2008, I don't know if I was the first person, but I was, I was in their beta. It wasn't available. I remember I went, I lived on Hollywood. Who's ever been to Hollywood? You ever been to Hollywood and Vine? It's the most famous intersection in Hollywood. It's been in the more, most movies. And years ago, I thought it'd be cool to live there. So I lived there. And then I also discovered it is also the loudest corner in Hollywood. Dude, it would wake me up at four in the morning, six in the morning, eight in the morning. But one night when I was in that condo or apartment, I went down to eat sushi and I came back and I made like $19,000 from Facebook ads profit. And I was like, well, all right, I, I need to go eat sushi more often. I'm making 20 grand in an hour. And it's not like that anymore. Facebook ads is still good, but who here is doing Facebook ads? Yeah. So all the money in this game of life is purely catching trends. And if you look at Fortune, uh, if you look at Forbes list people, I was lucky enough, I had dinner with Steve Ballmer, me and him. He owns the Clippers, but he also built Microsoft with uh, Bill Gates. And he's worth $33 billion. The richest guy. I've, I've hung out with some ballers. He's the next level. There's not many people. But once again, what did he do? Microsoft, computing. You got to catch the trends very early. Here in Vegas, last time I was here, I was with the Forbes list guy who built Poker Stars. You guys know Poker Stars? He sold it for $5 billion cash. Again, one of the first people in poker. So try to figure out, like, what can you be first at or in the first wave? It's actually first wave. You don't need to be first. There's something for, if you took, we took a moment of silence for a second. And everybody here thought, what is something you could be first wave? I guarantee there's something. It could be crypto. It could be something affiliate marketing. It could be SMS marketing. That one hasn't caught on as much as it should have caught on for affiliates because people are afraid of some things. But SMS marketing is for real. American Idol had made $100 million through texting. That's, that's how they were making their money. Now, it wasn't SMS marketing per se, but it was similar. So you should think about it. Let's, let's do a little, while I'm talking for a second, I'm going to come back to this. If anybody's willing to share a trend, but write something down, even if you don't want to share it, because I'd like to go through a few trends. Yes. Tiny houses. Good. That's a trend. I know a guy named Andy Lee that was doing that a long time ago, but it still hasn't caught on and it, it's a big trend. What else? Anybody else? Yes, sir. Cannabis. <laughs> Marijuana. Yeah, that's a trend. That's for sure. People are making tons of money in marijuana. I, that is, for, and especially with the law changes. What else? 
Backpacks. Oh, backpack. Russ, you guys know Russell Brunson? So he told me, he, he, I got a, a, a show, a business show. So he was on the show last month. And he told me, I said, what's something you've seen somebody do this year that's really killed it? And he goes, well, this guy who had never sold online, made a Shopify account. And of course, this is verified income because he owns, I'm sorry, ClickFunnels. So he owns ClickFunnels. He can see what's making money. So this guy started selling, experimenting and selling flashlights, survivor flashlights. And he made 20, was it 21 million so far? It wasn't even in the whole year at good margins. So that's what I'm saying. Now that's something flashlights per se is not necessarily sound cutting edge, but it, you can take something old and make it cutting edge by adding the word survivor. Also, I was like, oh, I don't want a fucking flashlight. I need a survivor flashlight. Somehow it, the lens magically makes me survive yeah, as opposed to a regular flashlight. I don't know what a survivor flashlight does, but when you see the news, North Korea, people are buying. People are buying. They're worried about nuclear holocaust. Some of you right here should be on ClickFunnels. And I don't, I don't get paid at all. I'm not, I should get paid for promoting this stuff, but I'm Shopify if you want. Get on there and use some of your affiliate skills to catch those trends too. Well, I can tell you that in Sweden, where people are about as healthy as we are, maybe more healthy, they're using 40% of the antibiotics we use. 40. So that means that 60% of the antibiotics we're using a priori aren't necessary. Now, when you say 40, 60, it's only for humans, right? Not, I'm just not talking for humans. livestock. I'm just talking okay. prescriptions yeah, per, per capita yeah. in humans at every age. And it's not just in yeah, young yeah, kids. Yeah. At every age, every- Swedish doctors are using, I think they're, they're exercising better judgment on average than U.S. doctors. We, we've grown up in a, in a, under an antibiotic umbrella where we think antibiotics are going to cure, cover everything and cure everything, but we're not paying attention to what it's costing. And I bet you part of it is because in Sweden, they, they don't get sued for everything like Could be. happens that, here. That, certainly that would be part of it. So... Getting back to the point, yes. how are we going to give the, back? The, the most important point. How are we going to give back those missing back? microbes? And that's that's what we do research on. Because we're talking, how many microbes we have? Uh, trillions. Uh, we have trillions, but let's just say that the average person has a few thousand different species. A few thousand different species. Right. So, how many species are out there collectively in humans? Uh, thousands, but your species aren't the same as mine. That's what I mean. Right. Yeah. So the, the, by species, you mean different strains or different well, no, species, species altogether? Species bigger than strains. So altogether, different species. Different species. You know, I talk about it in, in Missing Microbes because my wife from Venezuela went into the Amazon mm-hmm. to study the people who are living there who haven't had antibiotics, who haven't had modern... Is she a scientist too? She's a scientist. Okay. Uh, and she, she just went to Rutgers University as the Henry Rutgers Professor of the Microbiome. Oh, cool. So she, she's, so she's, and I, I carry her bags. When, <laughs> so uh, when she studies people out in the jungle and compares how many different species they have to us, they have twice as many. Oh. It implies that we have lost half of our diversity. Hers were really the first studies. Others have found the same thing. And so 
people in Italy, in Japan, in the United States, we have low diversity. People in the jungles, in Africa, in, in Latin America, even though they live continents apart, they have much more diversity. They're more similar to each other. Is it safe to say that we need less diversity in the cities than that we they would in the jungle? I, I don't, I don't, that's a good, it's an interesting point. I'm not sure that we need less diversity, but I can tell you that we have less diversity. And my point is that that's where the epidemics are coming from. That's why people are getting so obese. So you see more epidemics here than you see in the jungle. That's right. More asthma, more, more anything. I'm, I'm not saying that we should move back to the jungle. And I'm not yeah, saying we, yeah, should, no, no, we no. should give up antibiotics at all. Yeah. We need them. They're vital drugs. We have to use them better. And we have to figure out how can we give back the microbes that we've lost. That's really the challenge in these next couple decades. So, so you, we haven't figured out how to get... So the, the main question here, which is, can we reverse this effect? We still don't know how. We don't. Really. Actually, again, uh, I'm, I'm plugging my wife because she's, she's sure. done great stuff. So she did some of the original work on C-sections, mm -hmm. showing that babies born by C-section are different than babies not born by C-section. And so then she did an experiment, a human trial, where for, she had three groups of, of moms and babies, moms with scheduled C-sections, moms who gave birth vaginally, normally. And then there was a group of moms who gave birth by C-section, and they had a swab in their oh. vagina, and they swabbed the baby so that they could see, could they replenish some of those organisms? And she, a great, she showed a in a experiment. paper that was published in Nature Medicine, a very high yep. caliber journal, uh, that she could get at least partial restoration. Oh, that's interesting. Now, it, how long does it last, that well, partial in restoration? That study, how long was it following? In that study, they only followed it for a month. Mm -hmm. But they showed evidence that it's back. She's now doing a study looking out to a year. Be and yeah. she has evidence that, that some of these organisms are persisting, that it does make a difference. The real question is, will it make a health difference? Will those kids, I mean, there's independent literature that kids born by C-section have more juvenile diabetes. They have more celiac disease. They, they get uh, obesity more. So the question is, will it reduce? Will, if you restore their microbes, will, will you reduce that heightened risk? We don't know yet. But that's, that's the kind of study that needs to be done. But that would be awesome. It, it seems like it would, based on has the to, preliminary has to, studies. It has to be but... studied. But it's a, that's, that's great. There, there's, some, it's an there's, easy some, solution. there's some backlash among doctors. There's some obstetricians who are very unhappy about this. Why? I, I, it beats me. <laughs> they say it's not safe, it's not natural, but, you know. Well, it, it's not natural to, to get him from C-section. You can get somebody be, else on your show to yeah, discuss it. But uh, yeah, every no. baby born vaginally, there's risk from the mom's uh, uh, germs. But... This is the way we've been doing it for the last million years or so. I bet you those are doctors that like to do C-sections. Could be. <laughs> wow, that's the, is there any other? So that's one way, which I love the idea, and it seems simple too. It's yeah. just a swabbing a, yeah. a kid after yeah. they're born. Yeah. Um, so, so we're doing a lot of work on juvenile diabetes, mm -hmm. so what's called type 1 diabetes. Yeah. That's in what's called an autoimmune disease. There's something happens. Yeah. The lymphocytes attack the pancreas and they destroy it, and now the child needs insulin for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. and the thing about juvenile diabetes is that it's increasing dramatically. It's doubling every 20 or 25 years. 
And so something very strong environmentally is going on. And mm. there has been work on antibiotics. We've done work in mice showing that if we give mice antibiotics, we can push them over the edge to get more type 1 diabetes. So we're trying to understand what are, when, we, when the antibiotics affect their microbiome, what are the bad bacteria, what are the good bacteria? And we're hoping to use these kinds of studies to help us identify good bacteria. My dream is that one day we will give kids certain bacteria back to prevent juvenile diabetes. Wow. My, my hope is that we're going to understand this soon enough that during my lifetime that, You'll see it. that yeah. I will see it, that You'll we will give this back and it will be a broad preventive. Just like today, we give kids vaccines to help them prevent very serious infection. This is the opposite. We're going to give them microbes to prevent certain uh, uh, inflammatory diseases like juvenile diabetes. Hmm. That would be great. <laughs> I, I hope so. Let's talk about, there's a, a lot of confusion, and it's not confusion, but th there's a lot of times where doctors confuse a bacterial infection with a viral infection. And I've seen, I, I, I've had that happen in my family so many times where I go to the doctor and I'm like, I think this is viral, and they prescribe an antibiotic. I'm like, I don't, you know, I ignore it or sometimes I don't. But do you see this as a problem, too, where people are getting confused with the, the effects of a, a viral infection where an antibiotic is going to have zero? Sure. Well, you see, the, the problem is there's a lot of overlap between viral infections and bacterial infections. And the child who's ill doesn't come in with a sign. Yeah. You know, I have a viral I have a virus, infection. Yeah. I have a, so the doctor has to use their judgment. As I said, in Sweden, they're using their judgment and a lot fewer kids are coming out with antibiotics. In the U.S., there's a lot of variation between doctors. In, some doctors prescribe antibiotics for every child. Some prescribe it much less. We have to educate the doctors. <laughs> Let me go back a step yes. and tell you that one of the problems about overusing antibiotics is that uh, when we overuse them, we increase antibiotic resistance. Mm -hmm. and they, that the antibiotics won't work as well as they yeah, used then to. Yeah, you need higher and that's, doses. And that's, right, and that's happening. We, we know that resistance is growing. But when you tell a mother who's got a screaming child, this is going to increase resistance, the mom doesn't care that much. She just cares about the health of her child. Uh, so she'll say, I'll, I'll take the antibiotic. Resistance, that's a problem for, for other kids. But... You know, if, if the evidence were such that you said to the mom, you know, you, we could give you an antibiotic, but every time you take the antibiotic, it will increase the chance that your child will get juvenile diabetes, obesity, asthma, you know, by 1% or 2%, then maybe the mom will say, well, you know, let's wait another day. I've and the never, doctor will say. I've never had a doctor say anything remotely yeah. close to that right, before right. prescribing any antibiotic. Right. They Not even they, mentioning they, right. they, they about haven't, resistance. They haven't yet... But that's where the data, that's where the evidence is going. It's going, yeah. There was a study in Denmark that showed that, uh, that taking antibiotics increased the risk that kids would get inflammatory bowel disease. And they calculated that each course of antibiotics increased the risk by 14%. That's still, it's an uncommon thing. So that, that big increase isn't as dramatic as you may, may think. But the point is they, they can already measure the effect. Now, is there a... a, a a wait time you would recommend for somebody to, let's say my child, and this is for people watching, yeah. basically. My child was falling in with a, you can tell he has an ear infection mm -hmm. or 
how long would you say, let's wait a week, yeah. let's wait four days? What, what would you recommend before going to the doctor that you know that's going to give you an antibiotic? You know, um, it's not such an easy question to answer. But the main, que- the main answer is that's why we have doctors. Mm-hmm. It's not up to the parent yeah, of course. shouldn't decide my child needs an antibiotic. The parent should say my child is sick enough that I need to s- get a doctor's judgment. And so my child's sick enough, I'm going to take him to the doctor. And now the doctor's going to have to decide, is this child sick enough to get an antibiotic or not? It's, it's really not the parent's responsibility. They, they're, they're, they're not doctors. No, they, I they agree. But we, we're also in agreement that... But, so, but if the doctor does a careful exam and says, your child doesn't need an antibiotic, that, that parent should say, great, I'm happy. They're not that sick. Yeah. Rather than say, no, you know, they have to have an antibiotic so they can go back to school or to daycare or yeah. you know, whatever. So, so parents should be happy when they say, right. no, I, I, I don't I, want to prescribe I, you an antibiotic. My goal is for doctors to do more careful exams on patients, especially children. And our system is, is completely backwards. We're, we're trying to get doctors to see patients every five minutes. You yeah. know, it, it, it's just, it's completely backward. It's also a false economy. Doctors need to spend the time. They really need to examine kids. And then they'll say, you know, your, your child isn't that sick. They're going to get better by themselves. And if they don't, you come back and see me again. Yeah, it's, uh, I grew up in, in, in Argentina. And over there, we used to have a family doctor that would come to our house you know, kind of like you see in the movies with his little briefcase. And it was a lot more personal. When I came to America, one of the things that shocked me the most is that the doctor-patient relationship was so cold, you could say. So um, there's no connection. There's no, like, they don't know anything about you other than here's the chart. You know, the nurse comes. She does all the vitals. The doctor comes. Let me see. Open your mouth. Okay, here's your antibiotic. Yeah, so, go so right. So the system, and, and uh, it, most, uh, you know, I'm a doctor. Yeah. Most doctors who I know are very well-meaning people. They are trying to do the best for their patients. Yeah, no, no, I'm not. This, but we have engineered a system that is really going in the wrong direction. Yeah, yeah, and that's what really I mean. Going, and it's not getting any better. Now, doctors spending half the time at the computer, you know, punching in the information notes, yeah. rather than talking to the patient, examining the patient. And that's where I was going. If doctors would go back to that... Let's have a conversation with this patient and the family, yeah. you know, the, the, and educate them. This is a societal problem. Mm-hmm. We, we, we have created this. And by the way, it's not just in the U.S. In, in Europe, in South America, it's Oh, it's yeah, Argentina thing. changed too. When yeah. I said I grew up that way, I didn't mean yeah. that yeah. Argentina is better. This kind of stuff's happening all over the world where we've become intoxicated with technology. We've fallen in love with it. We think that's the solution. And it's part of the solution. But we need more careful exams. And, and, you know, if you examine kids carefully, you will find that most of them do not need antibiotics. And you'll be able to say, this child definitely needs antibiotics. This child definitely does not. Here are some in the, in the middle. If they don't get better, come back tomorrow. We've been using antibiotics as if they had no cost, yeah, no yeah, biological yeah, yeah. cost. So we'll just say, well, we're not sure, so we'll just throw some antibiotics and, on. And that's what but, I feel But happens. we're learning that there is a cost. Yeah. And that's what I feel. And, and thanks to people like you, which are finding those causes and effects, is what is going to help this change. Because I, I always felt that way. It's like, ah, if anything, take an antibiotic, you know. And 
in my at least in my households, we always try to you know, avoid it as much as we can. In the last couple of years, there have been two very big studies in Europe, one in England and one in Denmark, looking at adults. Each study had more than a million people in the study. Wow. And they asked, they compared people who have diabetes. Now, this is adult-onset diabetes. Yeah. They compared people with diabetes and people who don't have diabetes. And they asked, who, who had more antibiotics recently? And they found that the people who had diabetes had more, even 15 years prior, even 15 years prior. So a body of evidence is coming out that antibiotics are changing metabolism in adults as well. But we don't still, there's no mechanism to show what, how well, is it doing it? People are working on, it, it's happening through the microbiome. It's happening through changes in the microbiome. We don't understand it yet. And again, this has not filtered down to the average doctor. It hasn't filtered down at all. But I'm, I think that five or 10 years from now, this will become part of the conventional wisdom. People will understand that even in adults, taking an antibiotic uh, confers risk of added risk of other diseases, diseases that are not anticipated. That's when you do your number two book. <laughs> and tell everybody again. Um, great. Uh, let me see what other questions I have for you. Um, we talked about the antibiotics and food. Uh, the, we talked about the viral, the pre and probiotics. We, we need better diagnostics. We, definitely. We, we need to have a diagnostic that when the, the sick person is in the doctor's office, they can say, this is a viral infection, this is a bacterial infection. We, we pretty much have the technology to do it, but you know, let's say the test costs $500. Mm -hmm. And the doctor says, well, why should I use a $500 test when I can just treat with a $5 antibiotic? So the, again, the, the market forces are all... Now, is that the doctor now or the insurance company? It, it's everybody combined. Everybody it's, combined. It's the system, we don't recognize the cost, to, the real cost to society of all those inappropriate uses of antibiotics. If we costed it out, we would see that a $5 antibiotic course is a false economy. Yeah, because that, that $5 antibiotic probably cost in the lifetime, you know, hundreds and thousands. But yeah, you know, for if, somebody if, that has diabetes. Data, that's or, right. If these data about obesity and asthma are correct, what, what are the lifetime costs of having obesity, of having asthma? And if, if each cost uh, increases the risk yeah, by 1% or 2%. Billions. Yeah. In, in billions. So, so we should... I, I'm on a national commission about this, and, and we have said we need to develop new diagnostics so that we can give doctors the tools they need so that they can make better decisions. The, the tools are not, will not, never substitute for clinical judgment, but they will help. Yeah. It helps to have good tools, just like it helps to have an x-ray. helps to have good tools. And especially in a fast-paced system like we have today, the more tools you have to disposal, the better judgment you're going to make when you make that final. So here is a question from the audience. And the question is, <laughs> here's a question from the audience. This is about shopping when you go to the supermarket. What should somebody look for in order to increase the likelihood of turning back that um, effect on the microbiome change? Yeah, yeah. I know you mentioned lots of fibers. Yeah, yeah. So... I think there are two parts to this, two parts to the answer. One is avoid further damage, and the other is see if you can build up the good guys. So avoid further damage. So a lot of 
uh, foods in the store have preservatives. Mm-hmm. The preservatives were designed to improve shelf life mm-hmm. so that you can keep a box of cereal in, in yeah, the store for a year. Of, yeah. But the question is, what is the preservative doing to our microbiome? The, this was never really studied. Are there studi- there, is there no has, studies? I mean, these are, these are basically all the preservatives are antibacterials. So I, yeah, I try keep- and I tell the people I care about, try to avoid processed foods. So it's almost like an antibiotic. They're, they're antibacterial. Yeah. I mean, all the antibacterial soaps that people yeah. are using, uh, they've sold billions of these antibacterial soaps without any evidence that this really improves health. It can, during flu season, it can decrease transmission of flu, but that's a certain period of time, et cetera. But otherwise, antibacterial soaps, as far as I'm concerned, have no health benefit yeah. and probably some health, health risk. Soaps and other antibacterial lotions. Just about everywhere you go, there's yeah. a bottle of an antibacterial. I know, and you see that in school now. Yeah, everywhere. In school, and it's like, so, yeah, it doesn't people, change anything. Yeah, people have, uh, are making a lot of money out of germophobia. So, so half the answer is avoid the things that are doing further damage. And the good things are, uh, yeah, I, I eat a lot of fruits and vegetables, things that do have those microbes from, the bur- from uh, uh, fiber. That will help us have a healthier gut. Tell people so they get an idea. I, I remember I took microbiology in, in, in college. How fast do these bacterial populations reproduce in millions? Because I used to tell people, I'm like, you, you wash your hands with an antibacterial and in not too long of a time, a period of time, you're, you'll have all that back again. So it's kind of pointless. Yeah. You're just... Well, you know, part of it that people, I think people kind of intuitively get this, but you have to say it specifically, and that is that our body is full of good bacteria. And the good bacteria fight the bad bacteria. Mm-hmm. That's part of why we have them. That's, that, that's their benefit. So if we're getting rid of the good bacteria, are we doing more harm or more good? So we don't want to get rid of the good bacteria. Okay. You didn't answer my question, though. How fast, oh, how fast? do these populations... Oh, they come back very <laughs> fast. They, they, I mean, bacteria... Some, some of the bacteria double every 12 minutes. Yeah. So... Uh, you know, many bacteria double every 12, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. So you do the math, you, you can get to very high numbers in a short time. Yeah. Do you have anything that would, you would want to add to complete the... Uh, th- this, has be- this has become my passion. The reason I wrote Missing Microbes is to tell regular people... Tell the world. Ab- ...about what we have inadvertently been doing. We- we've been trying to maximize health... But we are, we are really opening the door for, for some bad things. And, and writing Missing Microbes is to try to get people to, and society in general to move in a better direction. What would be three pieces of advice for the people watching? They would say, at least do these three things and you'll be better off. I know one of them is going to be avoid antibiotics. That'll probably be your number one. Well, when when it could be avoided, you know, I would say work with your doctor, work with your healthcare provider, and if the doctor says you don't need antibiotics, you should be happy, not say okay. But how do you know? 
Yes, I understand. How do you know if I go to the doctor and I say, well, I, I'm trying to avoid an antibiotic, but... Well, the doctor, because, because many times the doctor thinks that you want an antibiotic. That's, that's what I'm saying. They so think th you've come there so that you'll get an antibiotic, and many people go there so that the doctor will give them an antibiotic. And so if, I mean, there, there's this tension, there's this, yeah. there's this drama. And if I just talk to the doctors, that's not going to be enough. It's, if people keep thinking that antibiotics are the panacea then they're just gonna keep asking it. And if you don't give it, then another doctor will give it. So I, I want people to understand that antibiotics have cost. And, and when they're necessary- Long-term cost. Yeah, that's right. When they're necessary, you must use them. But that's a medical decision. And uh, many times they're not necessary. So the advice here would be, have a conversation with your doctor. Yeah. Don't go there that's saying, right. hey, I'm sick. Give me my antibiotic or expect your yes. antibiotic. Yeah. Talk to him and see. Yes. Let him know that you're okay if you're not going to yeah. take your antibiotic. Yeah. Uh, the second thing is this idea about C-sections. C-sections have biological cost. It's not, not just financial cost, yeah. which is something, but there's biological cost. C-section, you know, the doctor says you have to have a C-section. You could say, is it, or is it necessary? Are we sure that it's necessary? It's not just convenience or... So that's whatever. a two for one there because you're going to save money because it's cheaper. And two, you're benefiting your baby, yeah. basically. You know, countries like, you know, again, Sweden, their, their C-section rate's 14%. Ours is 32%. And you said the highest was in Brazil, about 80%. That's in, in Rio. In, some, in, Rio. Some, in Rome also, it's about 80%. Rome. Some urban populations... It's like an epidemic of C-sections. Huh. It's amazing. Is it economical or is it it's because it's, 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 it's easier? It's a combination of factors. People think it's less pain. It's easier. The doctors like it because it's scheduled. The hospitals like it because it's scheduled. It's, mm. it's better reimbursed. Uh, so there, there are a lot of things that have kind of pushed us in that direction. Nobody was thinking, are there health consequences? But on the other hand, you could say, well, if we've been doing something you know, for a million years and now we change it, What's the chance that, that it's all going to be fine? Sometimes C-sections are life-saving. There's no question about it. It's like many things. We're just, we take something that's good and we overdo it. Yeah, yeah. And we, we see that a lot. Yeah, I agree. And let's go on number three. Number three, uh, eat a healthy diet. Eat a healthy diet. Eat yeah. a healthy diet. Common sense. One of the ones I was reading about is Frederick Nietzsche. I never pronounce it quite right. It's Nietzsche, Nietzsche. Um, so he was, uh, you know, from modern day, what we call the Germany area. Uh, it wasn't Germany. People don't realize it wasn't a country until, um, what year was it? 1880s, I think. You know, you had some of these powerful forces. You had Prussia come together and... Pomerania and all this. And anyway, he's from that area and very smart, went crazy at the end. I think he ended up dancing with a horse or something. He, he literally, I think he probably had some kind of mental illness at the end. But, he, but a lot of the, the things that you hear talked about in terms of, you know, one of his big things, he came up with this concept of the Superman. And it's not Superman like Batman and Superman. It's literally like the Superman, like the human that is more powerful than all other humans. 
So he had some kind of strange philosophies that I don't know that are relevant to you and I. But there was one thing that he talks about that I do think is relevant, which is the will to power. And he talked about it much more in a way of, you know, like what we would consider negative power, like being Napoleon and conquering the world. I think Nietzsche said something like, oh, if the world could just, we should praise all those millions of soldiers and civilians that died following Napoleon throughout his crusades in Europe. And I don't think most of us in the modern world would agree with that. But what I did agree with him is he had this moment in time where he realized that life was about power. Now, what I think is relevant is willpower, you see? And he talked about that. He literally called it not willpower, but the will to power, the will to overcome. And I think I was talking to somebody, people were asking me some questions at this crypto elevator night. And I was like, you know what? It's like, you gotta remember life throws tremendous challenges at you, whether you're an entrepreneur, a parent, a single person, whether you get sick and you have cancer or you are betrayed by a business partner or the idea you originally had doesn't work out that well or things are taking longer or you have depression and anxiety, you have a horrible upbringing, like you name it, you have bankruptcy. That's where the will to power comes in play. The will not to have power over others, but the will to have power over yourself to the point that all obstacles become nothing. So if you're interested in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and want to learn how to make money with Bitcoin, I'm opening up a brand new Bitcoin crypto academy for you. Crypto is starting to fundamentally change everything from currencies to the very structure behind the internet. And if you don't understand it, you will be left behind. Remember, if you had put $100 into Bitcoin in 2010, you would have over $100 million right now. I don't want you to miss out on the coming opportunities offered by Bitcoin in the cryptocurrency space. So I brought in the best experts in the game, the people that are teaching me and training me, and I'm gonna share that with you because it's not too late to understand Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and the blockchain and to make money with it. So to sign up for my new Bitcoin Crypto Academy and learn how to invest, how to make money in this new exciting space, I'm gonna open up room for a few of you to have early access to the new online mentor mastermind. So go to tylopez.com slash Bitcoin podcast to learn more. So I'm testing the mastermind. So I'm just gonna let a few of you in at a low price and uh, it's already filling up quickly. So if you want to get in, I'll let a few of you in. So go to tylopez.com slash Bitcoin podcast, all one word, tylopez.com slash Bitcoin podcast. If the course is closed, when you get to the page, put in your name in the waiting list. You missed out on the first round. Uh, and if you see it, welcome to the group. I'm glad you didn't procrastinate. Okay, back to the show. I actually had Damon John here today too earlier, the one of the the original Shark Tank. He's still on Shark Tank. And we were talking about that, like how he grew up in New York City and most of his friends were ending up in jail, prison, or dead. And how he somehow, and he didn't know exactly where it came from, but he got this willpower that he turned, and he's dyslexic, he turned that obstacle into power. He said, you know, I made FUBU, which became this huge clothing brand, probably because there was this will 
to overcome. And if he had just been born in, let's say, I don't know, middle-class family, everything went well. He had a mom and dad and happy. Who knows if he would have just had the fortitude to just go, I will make it. And so when you think about your life, like when you are confronted with these massive obstacles, don't just go, okay, like what's going wrong? Like my life sucks. And no, this is life. The obstacle is life. If you are scared of that or you're, and I know this is easier said than done, so I'm not trying to make it seem like this is really easy. It's not easy, but it's not, it's easier said than done. We'll put it that way. But it doesn't negate the truth that like, don't be surprised that things aren't working out and will your way through it. The will to power over yourself, over those times when you feel like giving up, over those times when your brain is telling you, quit, give up, go to bed and never, don't wake up. I mean, people commit suicide all the time because of many reasons. And so there's even that obstacle. Death confronts us all. And, and, and I don't have to be dramatic. It's not always literally death where, where people die. It could be the death of a dream, the death of an aspiration, the death of a business. So in this new year, you know, wherever you are, like try to go, this is the year where I increase the will power that I have, the will to overcome whatever obstacle. I don't know what's in your life. Like, you know, I got different obstacles in my life. Some are pain in the butt. Sometimes they're people. Oftentimes they're people, believe it or not. I'd say about 70% of the time they're people. This is where, Joel, you will like cryptocurrency because uh-huh. you're learning about it, as right, you said. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Cryptocurrency hates centralized mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, right. It blames most problems on centralized, which maybe is an extreme thing. But I wrote a tweet today that kind of hit me in the shower. As I study history, basically, we follow crazy people. When I read from a personality standpoint, from what I've learned from you, Dr. Buss, like Adolf Hitler is a classic narcissist and probably psychotic and probably Machiavellian. Stalin was extremely Machiavellian. You know, the, uh, Mao Zedong. Have you ever read about Mao? Yeah. Mao Zedong oh, killed yeah. the most people of our time. Way more than Hitler. Oh, yeah. 50 to 100 million people. Way more than Stalin. Yeah, yeah. He may be the most narcissistic person. You don't even have to know what narcissism is. I read his. This, there's this new anthology of him. It's a biography. Probably the most narcissistic human to walk this planet. So what happens in centralized power? Because he got centralized. He like ran all of China. Mm-hmm. And then you have Stalin run all of U.S. Well, it wasn't USSR. All of what we call Russia. And then in Hitler, all of Germany and central powers. There's huge problems. And one of them is just the people who want to control are the worst people. And I think the same thing happens even in the U.S. Mm-hmm. It's the worst are rising to the top. I mean, no offense to Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or Obama. They're not the best people. There could be a lot better people. I'm not saying who the worst or the best. I guarantee you. In the last election, I don't know when I heard more people say 
We have 330 million American citizens, yes. and this is the best we can Only do. Only two. Really? BS. I meet people that are sharper. But the problem is, in a centralized, it selects for certain traits. For example, who's the best campaign person? Uh-huh. Why do you want somebody who's good at campaigning? That's uh-huh. completely separate than who's good at Run, debates, administration, even debates. That's like debates yeah. bring out people that are great yeah. at debating, yeah. not necessarily being great president. Yeah. So this is what I was saying: the blockchain might be the answer to every conversation we're having, where it will just remove that whole thing. Could, like, could you unpack that? What, how will that? So I'll give you a practical thing. Just this is a, just a simple, not a complicated. Right now. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't go to vote, right? So democracy works when a, a large number of people vote. What percentage of people actually go to the polls? I mean, to the to the voting station. Do you know? It was higher than what I thought it would be. I think it's like twenty-five to up to fifty percent. I was, was going to say thirty-five before. Yeah. Yeah. So let's say thirty. Yeah. Well, it's fifty percent. It's well, not why is thirty-five good. Thirty-five is not good. Yeah. No. That's 35 right. not you'll yeah. get more accurate when you have more I think what if it was as easy as everybody in America votes by going on their iPhone it's completely high it's highly secure it's unmanipulated that you can't manipulate it would be almost impossible because everybody could see the transactions on an open ledger and everybody votes now you might say that doesn't matter that much well maybe not in America but it matters in a lot of countries in the world where Idi Amin or Putin, how many times has Putin won in, in Russia? He wins, how long has he been president for? <laughs> Putin's always president. As long as like what you're suggesting is a blockchain type system. Yeah, because Putin's so just key. Sure. Yeah, everybody. Decentralized. Decentralized everybody in Russia who has a phone. No human can impact. And you can't go to a station where there can be people watching and nah, 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 yeah. it's just anonymous and everybody feels that way. People are gonna vote. So maybe not as much America. for the bullshit is low. Much, it's almost impossible even, to manipulate. Even, even rewarding, like even welfare or all these things. Yes, if people you're a blockchain, it's a guy. Yeah, you know how many people manipulate. are getting collecting social security on an uncle's social security number that's been dead for thirty years? Mm, right. This mm. kind of thing happens all right, the right, time. Right. I mean, just think about money. If you had a whole bunch of money in your bank account, you told anyone in your neighborhood, "Here's three rules to get the money." If you have a runny nose, if you, you know, haven't had a job for a month, and well, what people gonna figure out how to get that money? They're gonna put they're gonna, they're gonna put something on their nose kid. that makes that it right. That's another one. <laughs> yeah, have a kid. I'm people kidding. just gonna start doing that. People we respond to rewards. This is the free will thing. If you ever want to argue free will. Or it isn't a free will, it's just called free riders. Free riders. Free, <laughs> free riders when it's to our advantage. Free riders. Yes. We could eliminate all that. Then you could go deeper with it. For example, I mean, this is, if you want to hear me get super far out on politics, I have seen a system that works. It sounds outrageous to say. The only system I've ever seen of leadership that works pretty well, and when I say pretty well, 10 times better than ours, is how they used to do it in the Bible or how the Amish still do it. You can't want to be a pastor. It's impossible to become a leader of an Amish community. It's impossible. If you, from your childhood, aspired to be the pastor that runs the community, the bishop. First, so this is how they do it. They have a nomination. All the adults, male and female, vote for who they want to nominate. Okay? So in the Amish community, nobody wants to 
nominate you. They'll never vote for you if you're like campaigning. They don't value that. Right, right. But even if they did, if you could convince all the Amish to vote for you because you're a smooth talker. So they vote your nominee. They usually nominate like four to six people. They literally take straws, put it in the middle or a hat, and they pick one out. Mm -hmm. That's how you should have leaders. That's why, like in Israel, everybody goes into the army. If you want good police officers, here's a comp- there is zero solution to our current police system. Of If you think there's police brutality, the only simple solution is you have a blockchain application that literally selects who has to be a policeman for two years. It's like, it's part of, it's like a draft. And then you'll get some nice people, so some mean professional, professional uh, people who yeah. live their lives uh, with authority. And who do you think and now applies to be authority? At the, yeah, people who wow. think applies for the police department. Ain't normal people. There's a few, one out of ten. TSA. Right. <laughs> TSA. But I'm just, at politics, it should be, we should be run by people that don't want to be politicians because they're the, that's what, what did, what's his name say? I do, W.C. Fields, I do not want to be part of any club that will, will have me as a member. That yeah, was a, that's yeah, W.C. Fields, a Groucho Marx. Yeah. So what happens is if I study history, General Custer was one of the most narcissistic people oh, yeah. in history. And he led, people don't realize, Custer Mm-hmm. Last stand was a disaster for America. It caused the Native American wars. We went to war against them. It was it's all these bad things about America. You go through history, even George Washington, not to be controversial. I know some people here yeah. love George Washington, but George Washington, nope. He had his slaves, and I just read the story of Ona Judge, who she ran away. He moved to a free he when he's president, he went to a free, it was free. And she ran away, and he hunted her down. So, well, the Whiskey Rebellion was yeah. the first time American troops were used against American citizens, yeah. right in George Washington's day. And it was because the far, the Western farmers in Pennsylvania figured out how to take apple nutrition to Philadelphia via brandy. Washington, George Washington had the biggest brewery, uh, the biggest. Distiller, thank you. Distiller, that's what the word I was looking for. Um, in America at, at the time, at the time, and he didn't like all that brandy coming in from Western Pennsylvania. But you know, in a day before refrigeration, that was the only way to get apple nutrition in a bouncy ox cart to Philadelphia for a week. You couldn't send apples; they'd all been bruised and mushed. So you made brandy, and you could send bottles and preserve the nutrition. In bottles, but Washington didn't like the competition, and he thought they were making an end run around him. And so, let's go. Remember this: absolute power corrupts absolutely every time. And yeah. so, what I'm saying is, all these questions to me are common sense. If we make absolute power around universal health care, it's gonna something's gonna get corrupt up there. First of all, as far as I know, Obamacare forced people to buy insurance from a private company. There's zero chance there's not some corruption. Imagine getting that contract with Obama. There's no way. If that was on the blockchain or even Donald Trump, what was the thing in Puerto Rico? This one company, this small firm in Wisconsin got the rights to rebuild all of Puerto Rico for like hundreds of millions. Yeah, I mean, they revoked that, but yeah. Yeah, they revoked it because it got out. Right. Boy, trust me. It got out. Look, I'm a businessman. I'm a businessman. If I'm friends with Obama, 
and he and I got a healthcare company, and Obama's like, hey, I'm gonna do a healthcare thing. I'm gonna be like, but man, I've seen you in a while. I have to. Have I told you about my great company? <laughs> Look, they couldn't even get a website up. They built the world. Remember that website? They were like twenty-five million dollars. Twenty-five million, and it crashed. I could build that myself. Yes. We could build this for a pro- how much should a website like seven thousand dollars? Yes, it should cost seven thousand. <laughs> Centralized power is a disaster. But 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 real again in context, why did we have a dysfunctional uh, a dysfunctional healthcare system? It's because everybody's junk food. Well, no, no, it, it, you back up, you you back start backing up, backing up, and what you find is the wage controls that FDR put in as all part of the new interventionist New Deal, employers didn't have a way to reward workers because they couldn't wage control. They couldn't, they couldn't pay them more. So, so they're looking around, well, how, how can we reward this good guy over here? Oh, well, we'll buy him health insurance. Right. And so, so the whole idea of an employer, of, of, of a worker being entitled to health insurance through his employer was a man, an artificially manipulated context created by manipulation of Franklin Delano, what I call him Roosevelt-ski, um, <laughs> nice communist, um, uh, you know, at that, at that time. Well, think about ethanol, the most harebrained oh, idea to, oh, yeah, to save the planet. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. The main thing destroying the soul is corn, how it's grown now. It's like no to even no-till corn is a nightmare. But they're plowing up the Brazilian rainforest, the Argentina pampas, all this stuff, to grow ethanol, which <laughs> then to save the planet. So it's like, let's destroy the planet two steps and then bring it back one step. But here, Central, here That was centralized, though. Yeah, here, yeah, here again, I don't have a problem philosophically with ethanol. You know, if it's part of a of a holistic, multi-speciated, you know, system, the problem is that when you have government subsidies to go out and build a you know hundred million dollar uh, plant, that infrastructure then dominates the decision making, uh, the whole decision making yeah. freedom of of however far out in a radius it has to go from that plant. To feed that plant, so our our infrastructure determines what we do. It doesn't matter whether we need ethanol, whether it is valuable, whether it destroys the soil or anything. By gum, we built that three hundred million dollar facility, and we're going to make sure that keeps going. And that's why our single use industrial scale infrastructure comes back to haunt us because it's not retrofitable. And we become emotionally and economically dependent on it, and it then controls our decision making for the next you know, foreseeable. Yeah, I mean all these things. But, but, a, but a backyard, a backyard ethanol facility where a guy's you know got four or five acres, and he's that's wonderful. That that should be part of a of a you know multi dimensional. Yeah, uh, not plowing up. Two million acres of pump no, with one no, guy on a huge no, tractor. No, no, no. But that, that, I'm telling you, you'll like this, Alex. The end of the day, 
everything comes down to money, unfortunately. For people, money, it's like if you sniff all the way back through, yeah. like whiskey revolution, <laughs> war, da, da, da. It's yeah. like you always end up sniffing right to a pile of dollar bills. It's like, yeah. okay, that, I could, something now smelled in here. Yeah. So I, now, do, I do like that you're not red or blue, but you're green. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm libertarian. Is that what you would well, consider? No, I mean, it's... Joel, you've had an influence on me. I'm probably not, not green environmentalist, but green. I mean, it, you're green money. In other words, oh, green you money. Might, you might be red. What color is cryptocurrency? Or, yeah, <laughs> it's transparent. Digital. It's light transparent. Joel and I are going to make a decision of our own free will to stand up and walk out of this room and the rest of you are going to have to sit here and wait till your neurons bump up against each other. No, this is a once in a lifetime conversation. I know. We need to have some Red Bull for you. Uh, Red Bull will alter your neurons. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure. Or would lift your spirit. There you go. Oh, no, I didn't, I didn't say in, in, in a short order we would do that. I'm just saying. Oh, you're just saying at some point. I thought you were saying enough of this nonsense no, 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 conversation. I need more Dr. David Buss because Dr. David Buss sometimes forgets how smart he is and just said stuff as if we're all supposed to be like, oh, yeah. He's like the dualistic Cartesian. And then everybody, and I see him like, stop. Because no one's responding, and we're like, but we don't know exactly what that means. He's <laughs> Yes, that's exactly what I think about when I think about the coexistence of physical and spiritual. And even him when he's giving his explanations, I literally I'm going to use this on dates going forward. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm not coalitional psychology. I think was a no, but what the best part is he was trying. We weren't getting his point, so he was making it with the same terms he did before. He still wasn't in it. He was like, the variance. And we're all like, that still doesn't prove the point because we don't understand you. So he said the same thing twice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not the way to explain something people aren't dead. Okay. We need, the only thing that would make this better, Zach, we need Ben Shapiro and, Mike, and, and Michael Knowles. And Rush Limbaugh. No, God. <laughs> it would just make it awesome. But here's some, we need somebody in the spirit of, of, of fairness right here. Who would be somebody that can, is good representing the Democratic side? You gotta always have all yeah, sides. Bill Maher. Bill Maher. Who? Bill, oh, no, no. Bill Maher? So, uh, Rome, who do you Michael think makes good? Read Michael Knowles' book and you'll find some suggestions. So, Dr. Buss, would you say you. Are more Republican or Democrat? Uh, neither, actually. Okay. Libertarian? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, communist? I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't because you have to fit one of these labels. Or our brain will blow. It's definitely not communist. You're a Republican. Yeah. Although, have you ever read Karl Marx? I'm telling you, I, Karl Marx is one of the most intelligent. He, oh, that guy, I can see why communism took over half of the world. You read it, and you're kind of like, hmm. It is kind of exploitation of labor. I hire people to work for me, and they get paid less than they're worth to me. If I can get an employee who does marketing and makes me a million dollars, and he only wants 50 grand, I'm like, yay! <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's, I'm just trying to be fair. 
So when he says there's an exploitation of labor, I mean, it becomes semantics. And this, Joel, I'm going to tell you something. I want, I want to steer this. I want to hear your, your smart people's opinion. The honest solution, which probably will never happen, will be a return to small village life. Uh, you were talking, you called it, what did you call it? Small group small living? Group, yeah. So one thing I heard from Joel, which when I was there at 19 and I've now lived out, cities cause a lot of problems. Now, to be fair, cities cause a lot of increase in creativity and there's a lot of good things out of it, but centralization of people causes a lot of problems too. Whether it's how we grow food, people are, you want the reason it's common sense is gone it's because when you're detached from like mm-hmm. simple things, yeah, yeah. like I grow my own food, mm-hmm. when there's half the kids in the inner city mm-hmm. do not really know that yogurt comes from cows. I promise mm-hmm. you that. Mm-hmm. When you get that de- detached from reality, it makes sense that you're detached from lots of realities. Mm-hmm. And so common sense, as I see as an entrepreneur, I just realized like if you want to make a million dollars a year now, there's so many tools. It's basically... Like a series of probably about 300 common sense decisions. What am I good at? Okay, I'm going to build. What do people want? Like, and I see people detach from that. This old guy, older guy came to my house. He's probably like 65 or 70. And he's like, I made an app. I retired. I made an app. I need your opinion. And so I looked at app. It was probably the worst idea. It was like solving a problem no one cared about. It's like underwater basket weaving app. Okay. And I was like did you put a lot of money in building this? He's like, I put my entire life savings of $1 million. I told him, you just lost all your money. So that's a detachment from common sense. A simple farm kid, I feel like, who grew up connected and had to, you know, okay, the barn door fell off the house. I got to get hinges. They can do like this sequential logical stuff. Okay, I need that. The barn's half a mile away, so let me make a list for myself. So I walk there, do this. All that's lost. It's just, I'm telling you, Joel, it's lost. It doesn't matter if I hire somebody. I, I have somebody working for me who has an Ivy League degree. They make the worst decisions by far of anyone I've hired. And PhDs I've hired. It's like, it's no relevance. You're a smart PhD, but it's uncorrelated. I, you I, have I, a PhD I, because you were smart. It's not the other way. The PhD I, didn't it, make you it, smart. It is because the, people are protected. So your yes. survival does not depend on making good decisions anymore. Therefore, you've been making terrible decisions all your life, and you somehow are here, you're still here, you have not died. Yes. Therefore, you just never learn how to make good decisions. Yeah, because discernment is like a muscle. And how do you grow your Instagram? There's really about three ways. One, you can just wait for it to grow, which will take for most people to get to 10,000. If you just wait for it to naturally grow, it's going to take you 30 years. So it's not a great way. Number two, you can do collaborations. And that's where what you see big Instagrammers doing now, like Jake Paul, if you look at people like... uh, um, uh, Summer Ray, you know, they'll do exchanges with other people who have followers. That's a great one. And you can do that on YouTube too. I'll t- I talk about that in this tylopas.com slash secrets, but you know, it's a long conversation on how to do it. How do you get your foot in the door? But just, it's not as hard as you think because they want followers too. 
So you can start with just, if you have 3,000 Instagram followers, you can go to your friend who has 3,000 Instagram followers and said, I'll post for you, you post for me. We'll make a funny video together. We'll make a viral video together. We'll do, you need to do something good, not just say, oh, post, you know, follow my friend and no one's going to follow. It's got to be something interesting, okay? So that's the second way. The third way you can do is you can do paid advertising or paid giveaways. And I've done all of these. I've let my, you know, in 2014 or 2013, I had, you know, a thousand Instagram followers. And now I have 2.4 million um, Instagram followers. Same with YouTube. In 2014, I had like a hundred subscribers. Now I'm like, oh, I'm almost at a million. I'm like nine point. 900,990, <laughs> literally. It's amazing. I need yeah. 10,000 left. But you don't need that much. Now, somebody said paid advertising is expensive. No, yeah, it's but, not. But if you can make your money no, back. No, it's not. Yeah. Let, now, Joe's an expert at Facebook. Um, you were telling, you, we were just talking about this restaurant pay, pay, that you were only spending $1,500 a month, and how much sales were you generating for them? Ninety thousand over over $100,000 a week, ultimately. But initially, it went right to ninety. But, but how but, much did you add? They were doing some revenue. They were doing 77000 a week. So you added about 25000 of per revenue week. That's per 100, week. That's $100,000, a million per year. A million per year, and you only spent about twenty grand for Correct. that. Correct. But let me, let me also address this, because you know when someone says social media is, ex, is expensive or the paid advertising is expensive, they don't get it. Okay. So I don't, I don't mean that to be harsh, but let me look at it like this. My wife's business, when we first, when she started doing the hair bows and headbands, she got the idea because she had a background in eBay. So she was an eBay power seller, which a power seller, I think is somebody who's did a hundred thousand dollars in sales on eBay and beyond. They become a power seller status. This was back in the day when I first met her. I saw, come I knew, Hey, this one's for me, right? She's super ambitious yeah. and she's entrepreneurial. Zach, you need so, a power seller. Yeah. Go get a fight of eBay Bring power seller. <laughs> Zach's looking for so, sugar mama. Right, so <laughs> For almost a year straight, we never spent more than 10 or 20 bucks ever in a day. Huh. And the average we spent on Facebook advertising for our hair bow business was $5 a day. Wow. We ended up getting picked up by some major sites like, like Jane.com and Zulily and, and sites like that that sell and started selling her products. She actually pulled away from Zulily because of how that it just wasn't very good for the business. And, um, but she gets featured every day, for example, on almost every day on jane.com. And they have hundreds of thousands of subscribers. So that's also a strategy that you can use. If you're reselling another product, you can find deal sites that need products like yours to feature and sell. They just need you. You're yeah. the middleman. Yep. Uh, but here's also the other thing is you have to think about what, 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 you know, what you're looking at customer, customer acquisition, right? You know, what kind of money goes into it? When a restaurant says to me, 1500 bucks seems like a lot of money, it's because they don't believe that, you know, they can make 20000 extra a week. Right. They don't realize, they've never seen it turn into anything for them because they didn't know how to do it well. That's why there's such a market to help other businesses right now. Yeah. Most people suck at marketing. One of the things, you know, I talked about systems. The other thing, really, just remember this. What is marketing? It is storytelling. And I promise you, this is the most important thing. Somebody said, Joe Soto, hell yeah. And then Max said, Zach is Louis C.K. Not sure what that means. That, that's a compliment for Zach. He, yeah, yeah, if you're talking about uh, wit-wise, bank account-wise, <laughs> that's a different story. He's not rich enough for you? Is that what you're saying? You <laughs> no, want to be either. compared to him? No, I'm saying I'd like to be like Louis C.K. Oh, with the, the bank but you're account. saying with the wit, you're wittier than Louis C.K. No, no, that, that's a compliment. Right, right. Uh, I get it. Zach's being cocky here. Um, no, I didn't say I was wittier than. I was just saying, oh, that is a compliment if we're talking wit.
quick points for somebody that's like thinking of either going off and becoming a social media influencer or quitting their nine to five job. So let's do this. These will be like one paragraph kind of your advice. So number one, how to overcome the hardest thing that you had to learn become an entrepreneur. What was that and how'd you overcome it? This is one of those moments where I wish we were sitting down. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Um, You know, there's so many hard moments. I think it's just being an entrepreneur is just the hardest thing to do is self-motivate yourself when you're going through something in your personal life or, you know, especially being an entrepreneur that's like in the in the public eye. You're growing in front of everyone. You're making mistakes. You're literally like no one in my family is an entrepreneur. Everyone in my family is still trying to figure out how to survive. And, you know, I love them and and they're amazing and I've learned so much from them. But as far as how to run a successful business and how to be financially um, responsible and, you know, I've never had help in that area. So I'm going to make I'm going to make mistakes like that. I'm going to you know, I'm building a company and um, learning as I go. So uh, luckily, finally, I've I've realized, you know, the power in collaboration and Mm -hmm. um, allowing for a while. I was very gung ho about only hiring women and working with women. But um, now we're letting men play, too. So, you know, so that's let me let me make number two then. That's a good point. Learning in front of the public eye is hard. So number two, what have you learned? Because you said you used to only hire women. Now you're hiring men. What have you learned about that whole dynamic of like men versus women working for you? Um, I'm not going <laughs> to. I think it's very controversial topics. Uh, you know, I yeah, do think you that tell your gut. I mean, you're nobody's going to get mad. Of you I do say feel like there needs to be. Yeah, there needs to be a, a, a mix. You know, um, we're, women, we are very passionate and we're very emotional. And um, it's good sometimes to have like that buffer energy, that male um, energy and just kind of even just being a woman. Sometimes it's difficult because women uh they don't say what's what's really on their... We need women to be more comfortable and, and feel empowered enough to speak exactly how they feel and say what's on their mind. I think we've become very accustomed to um, trying to be polite. And I know myself, you know, this is me still learning at 27 years old to just be like, you know, this isn't going to work for me. Take it or leave it. This is what I need in order to do this. And like, you know, I, see, I feel sometimes... Um, We've, we, we have uh, come up in a patriarchal society where it's like prior to, you know, a couple years ago, there, were, there wasn't as many opportunities for women. And so it was more of a competitive yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, now social media has kind of equaled the playing field. You got just <laughs> as many females in social media. Yeah, 100 percent. And not, and not just that. And just obviously, like, you know, back in the day, women had to. They're, they're only shot at survival before we were allowed to vote, before we had jobs, before, you know, before we were respected as equal members of society. We had to compete for men in order to ha- secure ourselves a nice household in order to have a family. And that was like kind of, you know, it takes a while to for, for a society to recover from that and to transform right. and for, you know, women as a species to, to come to a place where we demand our place. And I think that the time is now. <laughs> the time is now. The time has come. And finally, you know, um, I think we, the, you know, the, we're seeing these moments where it's like actresses in Hollywood are showing us these incredibly disappointing statistics of, of you know, what 
Who who was it? Ugh, man. You mean the pay differences Dude, that are happening? I mean, literally, there was like there was like a uh, Mark Wahlberg. Yes, Mark Wahlberg. You're talking thank about you. that the, reshoot, the reshoot of the movie where he got I mean, paid a million and she didn't get paid. I mean, and here's the thing, and she didn't have it in her contract. Well, guess what? I'm sure when Mark was coming up, some someone in his circle suggested a great lawyer to him and suggested right. allowed and help him set up those key people in his circle. Those you know that guidance for him and and as women we don't always get that yeah you know and so it's we need to start sharing our resources with one another as a as women we need to start you know not kind of trying to keep everything to ourselves because only when we share can we get to a point where we can make this fight because you if you go 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 by yourself as a woman you get to the top and right. then you realize, wow, everybody in this room is making way more than me, and I'm doing just as much, if not more. Right. But who, where are my sisters that are going to fight with me? Because I left them all down there. Yeah. So the guys aren't going to fight. They're they're paid. They're good. You know. I mean, and that's also hopefully we get to a point where, and I'm seeing, I was very very impressed with like the amount of men and young men even that were at the march this past weekend. It's it's that's very important, you know, and it's it's really important to see the next generation of kids see this like. Kind of, you know, I don't, I don't want to necessarily call it the feminist movement because everybody has their own, you know, connotations of what that is. But, um, you know, for them to be growing up in this time and, and so they can look at us as their equal and just have that with them. And, you know, that's how it's going to continue to evolve. Anyways, I talk a lot. That's no, okay. Sorry. <laughs> so this third point, I want to ask you, I saw somebody do this on an interview and I've never done it. So this, you're going to be the first person if you had to summarize your advice to pr- people, one word, this is hard. I've tried this before. What would your one word be for an entrepreneur, female, anybody listening? And so, like, for example, I saw an interview where it was like, you know, loyalty or knowledge. Like, what is a word that's like, I'll give you a second to think on it because it's not. Yeah. Uh, like, if you had a word. shirt, what would it say that, like, conveyed your message? Faith. Faith. You have to have faith in yourself.